lights on. Okay. Good morning, church. As you come in and grab your seats, I'll uh, make a couple of announcements. Welcome to you. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. We have some visitors with us this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, some have come to see a baptism that's about to take place. We have our uh, young people in here as well. So they're going to be in for the baptism and then they'll be heading to their classes. My name is Kelly and I'm the discipleship pastor here. And again, we just want to welcome you to worship Christ with us this morning. Um, let me make three brief announcements just to get us going this morning. A reminder that tonight we have our significant annual business meeting that will be at 530 uh, there will be provisions made for kids and child care, so there's some notes in your bulletin about that. Uh, but I've also been asked to remind you, members, as you come for the meeting tonight, we have a ballot to vote on deacons. So this is um, deacons who will fill a three-year term. The deacon nominations, the deacon nominees are Tom Crum, Ron Gorsline, and Nathan Grieve. Tonight, there'll be a ballot. We'll vote to affirm them during the meeting. We'll also be voting uh, a couple of church officers, Doug Cunningham and Ed Welsh as well. So just to be aware, 530 here in the auditorium. Next, ladies, just a reminder, during our discipleship hour, so we'll have our service that will end around 1030. There'll be a fellowship time in the back. So just follow the crowd. And then at 11 o'clock, we'll begin what we call our discipleship hour. There'll be a ladies study with Tina Holcomb in the foyer. And then there's a listing of other classes uh, that will be offered as well. Sunday school classes and electives. On the back table, where Pastor Adam is preaching through the Gospel of John and teaching through the Gospel of John. And I have some Bible journals back there. It's just the Gospel of John on one side and then lines to take notes on the other. If you're interested in picking one of those up, they're $4 and I can meet you in the foyer and pass those along to you. And as I said, in just a moment, we're going to have a baptism here. Doyle and Ann Swafford are going to be baptized. And I'm not sure if I've ever seen two people more excited about baptism. So... Strap yourself in for that. Um, let me uh, let me make you aware of a couple of prayer requests. One, um, some of you remember a former youth pastor who served here, Jerome Redding. Jerome is having surgery tomorrow to repair his aortic artery. Um, so that's tomorrow. Sometime tomorrow he's having surgery, and I think he's posted some on social media, so you can follow there to see maybe what time, but we want to be praying for him. There are some other requests in your bulletin as well, some bullet-pointed requests. Uh, uh, Renee Haston is recovering from some surgery, different ones, so uh, let's be praying for them. Now, let's go before the Lord and let's prepare our hearts. Father, thank you, almighty, eternal, all-powerful creator God. You have made us, you have made us in your image and we belong to you. Thank you that we have the hope of the gospel and that only through the shed blood of Christ who willingly offered himself up as the substitutionary sacrifice for our sin, the perfect lamb, the sinless lamb who died in our place, who bore our sin who carried our shame, who was buried, rose again on the third day, is alive today and intercedes for those who belong to him. Thank you that we have the confidence through faith to approach you in this moment, in this holy and sacred moment and gathering for your glory and for our joy. God, thank you for this time. I pray that you will minister in a special way to our brother Jerome's heart and as he um, goes through this surgery tomorrow and his family Lord we pray you'll guide the surgeon's hand we pray that you will minister in a special way that you'll comfort that you'll remind them that you are still Emmanuel God with us and that you will surround them in a special way with your love Lord as we gather here this morning we pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with physical, spiritual needs. Lord, we gather here not as perfect Christians, but as broken sinners who have been saved 
and you have declared us saints and forgiven and you love us and we thank you for the assurance of that love and we pray that we will see and experience your sovereignty in this service this morning as your word is sung and your praises are sung and your word is preached prepare our hearts to receive what you have to say to us and to recognize a special word that you bring to us that you can address us right where we are in the needs, in the joys, in the rejoicing, in the challenges, you can meet with us this morning. Give us a holy expectation of hearing from you this morning. So now as this baptism takes place, as your, song, as your praise are sung, as your people worship and are equipped with your word, through the classes that will take place afterward, we pray that in all these things, you will glorify your name and meet our deepest needs. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. We welcome you here today, and I'm excited to be able to have this opportunity to gather our hearts and minds and attention. I'd like to look at a verse of scripture, a passage that's found in Matthew 28, where it gives us a platform for understanding this idea of what we're about to uh, observe and testify. He says in verse 18, where he comes to them and he he was speaking to them and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he goes on to say that there is something that you must do, go. And in that process of going, you will then make disciples. And it's something that we're to do really in a global understanding, not just here, but everywhere God takes us, wherever our feet trod, we are bringing Christ to wherever the scene of life takes us to. And then as in the process of seeing those people come to know Jesus Christ, there is then a commencement of disciple making. And part of that discipleship process begins with our open and public testimony of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's the baptism aspect that Ann and Doyle Swafford are going to be observing here with us this morning and excited about this opportunity. So we baptize them in a, in a Trinitarian manner to understand that it's the fullness of God that uh, allows us to appreciate not only the Father's plan realized in the manifestation of Christ, the visible presence of God seen, whose death and his burial and his resurrection gives to us the meaning of the gospel, the good news, but the Holy Spirit is also very active in how he then takes these truths and he begins to minister to our hearts. And so we find that this is done. And then that next verse is a reminder that we are to be teaching these things. And this is the process that we use here in our church to recognize this commissioning aspect, to take these truths and the expansion that he gives to us in his word of these truths and teach these things to the people that God gives us opportunity now to make disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. And these truths that he has commanded us is how we are to then live our lives. And it's a beautiful relationship. It's a wonderful joy to be in knowledge that my sins are forgiven, my relationship with the Lord is restored, and that I can walk in confidence and in truth knowing how he wants me to live and conduct my life. And so today we have opportunity to observe two people uh, who have known Christ. This isn't necessarily uh, a new entrance into faith that has just happened, but really as they have become desirous to join with us, Part of our need is to express this in a way that we believe as people uniting our hearts together, this is a commitment of modeling and demonstrating a step of obedience to say that I am surrendering my life as a testimony of God's grace to me, his mercy to me, and I want to show the world around me. And so as entrance into fellowship, uh, this isn't necessarily a, a must for salvation, but it is a way for us to say that, yes, we are modeling a heart of surrender and submission to the will of the Lord and uh, walking in, in a sense of obedience uh, to what God has given to us and in compliance with this truth. And so today we come to this idea of baptism and grateful for what God has given to us in this time. So I'm going to ask uh, Swaffers to make ready and... Uh, I think I might have heard Kelly say, you just never know what you're going to get out of these two. But we have really enjoyed their presence with us over the last few months. And so, Ann, you come ahead. She jumped right off. She says, I'm first. So, all right. Come on. Be careful. All right. All right. Stand right there with me. Amen. So, Ann, if you were to be asked a question, I'm going to ask a very basic question. If today was your last day on earth, do you know that heaven is your home and that you would be with God for all of eternity? 
Amen. Yes. yes, I do. Okay. And that's because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Amen. All right. So hmm. let me be also very clear. This water does nothing for our salvation. This is not a means of salvation. This is not a means of us gaining something. This is a demonstration of what has already taken place in our heart. And so, again, just a, a, a public expression of what Christ has done. So you ready to get baptized? I'm ready. All right. Let's turn around here if you would, please. Amen. Okay. All right. Father, we're grateful for this testimony of grace. Lord, I thank you for Anne and her willingness to follow you publicly. And I pray that you'll help her life to always be a, a, a resemblance of Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Based Amen. upon your profession of faith and your testimony in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in his likeness, raised to walk in the newness of life he has given to us. Amen. Amen. I'm a Baptist! <laughs> All right, Doyle, come right ahead, sir. And again, just watch those steps there. All right, I get a little nervous when they're taller than me. Uh, just don't drop me. I won't, I won't. I jokingly told him last Sunday, I said, it doesn't cost you anything to go under, it's 500 to get up. And he hasn't paid anything yet. So. And you got that cash on <laughs> Amen. Well, we're excited for what the Lord is doing. Doyle, I'll ask the same question. Do you know that heaven's your home? I do. Amen. Amen. And that, and that yeah. uh, today, if you're at last, you'd be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed. Amen. All right. So let's come out here and uh, and set the standard pretty high there. All right. There we go. All right. Father, we're grateful for this testimony of your grace and truth. Lord, I thank you for Doyle and his willingness to follow you in this way to express what you have already accomplished in him. Lord, help him to continue to lead a life that honors and glorifies you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in his likeness. Raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer, and I'm going to let Fred come and begin to lead us in our worship time and song, and uh, grateful for what the Lord is doing. Let's stand together, if you would, as we prepare our hearts to worship him this morning. Father, we're grateful for what you're doing in our midst, and grateful for this church. Thank you for the local representation of you that, day by day, walks into the community of life, wherever their life takes them. And Lord, I pray that we are truly obedient servants in surrender and submission to you. May you be honored and glorified in us through your power, through your grace. Lord, not as, even as Kelly said, not as perfect people, but Lord, being perfected, being shaped by your hand. Lord, thank you again for your grace and truth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. It's always a, a joy to see people baptized and become uh, members of, of our church. We begin our praise and worship this morning uh, with these words. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. God's grace and mercy are never ending and thus they demand the loudest and highest of praise. Come thou found.
what great promises. Amen. We're going to dismiss our kids at this time to uh, Children's Church. And uh, as they're uh, leaving, their teachers will join them back there as well. Parents, you're welcome to follow them out. I'm pretty sure they know where to go, but you're welcome to help them with that. Let's continue as we worship together.
God, we come before you today and thank you for salvation. We thank you for the resurrection and how our souls cry out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise and glory to our great God. God, may you fill our hearts today with your word and may we be responsive to you and how you want us to respond and change where you need us to change. We love you. Thank you that we're able to celebrate baptism this morning and also the Lord's table. Thank you for your blood and your body that was shed for us. So thankful, Lord. For it's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray and we celebrate today. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to step away from the Gospel of John for just a moment this morning and go to the book of Ephesians. And we'll get back to that. I wanted to tie some things together, but I, I felt like it was going to be uh, take us too long to develop that. And I wanted to go right to this thought and take a moment today. And so we think about what uh, we've already been observing, Matthew 28, and, and the challenge that we have as our commandment and our commissioning in Acts chapter 1. We understand that our church, we have a, a job to do, and there is something that we must function as, and today we, we have this unique opportunity to observe these two ordinances, these two, what I would consider great gifts that God has given to us as a church, uh, the, uh, the ways to visualize and to remind us all of our commissioning that it comes in the idea of baptism and communion. And so Ephesians chapter 1, I'd like to look here together at uh, uh, verse 13 and kind of following down to the end of the chapter here and uh, so finding there in your Bibles whether in print or in the digital version that you have and I hope that you will open it up to this and look through this passage with me as we take a moment. I, I for the sake of time I'm not going to read these first 12 verses leading up to it. It's a powerful expression of the Trinity. It's a, a way of seeing how God and his his visualization and what Paul does to magnify the role that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have. But then he comes into verse 13 referring to Christ in him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And then he goes into verse 15, on the basis of all of this, and really it goes all the way back to verse 1, on the basis of this he says, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body fullness of him who fills all in all. Thinking about this morning and these two ordinances that we're observing, both the baptism and thinking about that and the thought of what baptism and communion, but both of these model the grace that God has given to us in the gospel to share the testimony of redemption and where our true source of hope comes from. Thinking about, first of all, baptism, when you think about the concept of what baptism is and what it means, 
and understanding that it shares the story of this resurrection power. And it's something that Paul speaks of here, this authority that he's given to us and how being dead, Christ was made alive. He was given to us again as one born, that firstborn, really from the dead to give to us a promise, a secure promise that if we die and we die in Christ, we will not suffer an eternal separation from God, but something that is now visibly able to be realized in our lives today, but also one day with him. We, we don't have to fear that. I don't fear death. I, I may not look forward to the means of death. <laughs> I don't exactly look forward to what it might mean to suffer or to go into maybe long years or through a battle with cancer or uh, to suffer some accident or something along that line. The, 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 the means by which the vehicle that death may come to me is not necessarily what I anticipate, but I don't fear the other side of it. And that's really the testimony that we observe every time we watch somebody in our understanding the resurrection power of Christ to give to us then the ability to walk by faith in Christ in this day, knowing that even death is conquered because of Christ. The second ordinance that we're going to be observing later is the communion. And communion speaks of the fellowship that we share in Christ. This is what we get to do to model the fact that this is his body, this is his blood, this is us together observing what Christ has given to us in that death that he died for our sins that we could not do for ourselves, but he did for us in the sufficiency of that. And that also in many ways is spoken of here in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. But today what I'd like to do is to check the pulse of our church. And to think about this and as an open inspection and one that I hope that you will examine with us. You may be here for the first time, or you may be here as a long-standing member of several decades. The question I am always asking myself is, is what makes the church effective and relevant in the day in which we live? What is church? And we think about it in that question mark, that framework of understanding as we move into this thought. You know, I I think that COVID revealed what the American church thought of its need for fellowship. In our case, a tornado came through our area and revealed what we thought of when we identified as a church. Is it a building or is it people? We can get caught up in what I would describe as a very much a menu-driven a mentality and thinking about from the standpoint of what church is and where we're going in life and we can almost treat the our idea of a church experience is like we're reading off of a menu there are some days I'll be at the office and and uh, whether I've, I've got meetings crammed in around things and sometimes I'll bring things to eat and things like this for lunch and sometimes I'll head home I don't live that far away from where our office is and so some days I, I get the opportunity to go back and hear my wife teach her first graders online and uh, sit there and make fun of some of those crazy things that they do in a very, very quiet way. I never make her laugh on camera. That is a, that is a major no-no. But then there are some days that I don't really have the luxury. I don't have the opportunity to do that. And so I'll, I'll head down to Indigestion Alley. That's Gun Barrel and Hamilton Place. And I will try my best to find something to eat. And so on my way there, I'll be asking myself, okay, well, what do I feel like today? You know, I feel like maybe, you know, Chinese, a hamburger, maybe just an ordinary sandwich. Nah, maybe some Mexican is on the order or, Italian, ah, pizza, or, and I'm, I know I'm already getting you ready for lunch, all right, but at the same point, you know, it's, it's this concept of the choices that are in front of me, and, and I have quite a wide range of opportunities. So let me ask you, what do you feel like today when it comes to church? It becomes difficult in many ways to compete with all of the preferences and the available designs Perhaps we could have a little dash of the contemporary scene, a little smidgen of the traditional with a twist of something blended. Some say I want the preacher to stand behind a pulpit while sitting at a table, situated in front of a large screen TV while I'm sitting at home in my PJs. And by the way, he needs to also be wearing a suit and a tie while making it look like blue jeans and an untucked shirt. And don't forget the wingtip sandals. 
And we've got all kinds of varieties and all kinds of styles and all kinds of designs on what it should look like to be in church. And we can get so consumed with our worship service that I fear we're failing to serve from a heart of worship. We can even become enamored with digging wells in the Sahara region and we fail to see the spiritual drought that's in our own backyard. Let's be clear that the gospel is not dead. And let's also be very clear that truth is not up for debate. The reality of the church is not something that depends on a fad or a trend or some marketing scheme. The reality is that Christ is still actively working in hearts and lives and still choosing to use the body of Christ, this body, a.k.a. the church, to be the medium that is used to communicate through the power of the Holy Spirit the reality of his existence in a world that needs to see him. We're it. It's like God said, okay, tag, you're it. You're going to be the ones that are going to be on call constantly, 24-7, to represent me wherever God places you in whatever sphere and space of reality that you occupy. We are the church that exists in this day, for this time, and for this people. We are an American church. It's good to have the dicks with us, all the way from Hungary. And as they came in this morning, they are challenged with an understanding, recognizing the difference between what we are doing here versus what they're trying to do in a far distant land. But yet it's the same gospel, it's the same truth, and we are the ones that have been tagged. We're it. We are the church wherever God places us, and we are to represent Christ. And so again, let me ask us, as I seek to ask of myself often, what are we doing to be relevant and effective in this day and age? In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15, predominantly through that section there, Paul expresses some sentiments about this church in Ephesus, this body of Christ visibly seen there in this little city, not a little city, it's actually a pretty good-sized city, the city of Ephesus. And there are some things that he notes. He first speaks of their faith. And it's a faith that is firmly fixated in the person of Jesus Christ as the Lord of their lives. He says there in verse 15, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, I mean, that must have been something for Paul to have heard of their faith. Something about the testimony of their life. Something about how they were modeling and demonstrating. Something about the choices they're making and the decisions of their life. To say in such a way that everything about them exudes, demonstrates, models a passion for Jesus Christ. A faith that is fixated firmly upon the person of Jesus Christ as the Lord of the lives. If you, if you go back with me up here to verse 2, and he, I mean, to, uh, actually verse 1, he talks to the saints. And by the way, that's not dead people. You don't become a saint when you're dead, not according to what Scripture teaches us. It's to those that are alive and breathing, the called out ones, the singled out ones, the ones who are dedicated to Christ. You are the saints. You are the redeemed, the children of God, the people of God, the saints. And he says of these people there in verse 1 who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Could Paul say that about Grace Baptist Church? If Paul was to write a testimonial of our existence, could he say that he immediately senses an unwavering commitment to and a knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ? Does knowing Christ change you? Listen to this thought as well. Does knowing Christ change others Does it bring change in others who are around you? Would you be convicted of being a Christian? Would there be enough evidence to prove it? Is your faith so on display that other people are very aware of your relationship with Christ? Because of this faith, then Paul expresses a dynamic result. And what is that result? He focuses not just on their faith, but he also says in verse 15, he speaks of their love. 
He talks about this in verse 15, this, the idea of their faith which exists among you and your love for all the saints. This is not just a love for a few, to those that are conveniently placed. It's not just a love for the same demographic group. This isn't a love to just the people that you get along with the best. It's a love for all the saints. It's learning how to love the unlovable, the testy. It's loving those that, yeah, I don't really know that well. It's loving all of the saints. Because if it begins here within the household of God, if we can learn how to love as we ought to love, it makes it a lot easier to go out into a world where we know that they don't love Christ and we can model that same kind of love because we've been practicing it very well in here. He says, this is something that I sense and I see in your life as a testimony of who you are. You love one another. When I hear people pulling away and sensing a a pull away from, it's not a pulling away from me. It's not a pulling away from just a few. It's a pulling away from the body of Christ. And that's not something that God has encouraged us to do. It's the old for the young and the young for the old. It is the ones that are of different ethnicities and the out-of-towners. Oh, you're not from around here, are you? Is a love that sees people and seeks to model love as Christ had loved them. There are no cliques in this church in Ephesus. There's no elite groups or neglected souls. You have a love for all of the saints. And then next, Paul sought to encourage this faithful and loving church by sharing a bit of what he regularly prayed for on their behalf. Can you imagine the prayer life of Paul? When he talks about having a prayer life that never ceases, to pray without ceasing meant something to Paul. He shared with this group of believers that he prayed for them, and not just occasionally, but regularly. And then what does Paul pray for? Well, notice with me in verse 17 what he prays for. He says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. First of all, he prays for wisdom, a spirit of wisdom. Reading an old writer by the name of John Eady, he he worked hard to try to convince me that this is actually referring to the Holy Spirit here. And there's some good arguments that he gave, but I, I tend to have to disagree with him. What I would argue for and what Paul is saying here is this, that it is how our thinking and how our actions are in alignment with the Holy Spirit who is at work within us. You you see, he's talked about this revelation, this knowledge, this enlightenment, this aspect of what he wants us to have. And he'll talk even a little more about that in just a minute. This faith. But sometimes our faith can almost sound vindictive. Our faith can almost sound like a bully. Our faith can almost sound like we are the elites and you're not welcome into our club. And what Paul reminds them of is is that when you truly are out there modeling this faith and living out the love that you have for one another, let it be done in a spirit of wisdom that you approach people and you minister to people in a way that is there because the Holy Spirit is teaching you how to do it. Then he goes on in that same verse to talk about revelation and revelation and a knowledge of him. This is the enlightenment that we possess as it comes from the word of God and the faith that comes from following what this book, this this blessed book has to share with us about the person and the work, the, the character and the holiness of God. If you're not reading it and you're not a student of it, and if you're not applying these truths, then what are you applying? It's not the wisdom that comes from God. It's the wisdom that comes from man. Maybe that's the reason why you're not finding contentment. And maybe that's the reason why you're not finding joy. And maybe that's the reason why there's still strife and conflict between you and other people. And so he says, this is that revelation that comes, that we are made aware of what God's word has for our life. And with that, then Paul adds this next request that's found in verse 18, that the eyes of your heart might come to enlightenment. Think about that visual for a minute. The eyes of your heart. That your heart sees something. 
that there is perception, but you're doing it through your the heart, where it's the seat, it's the place of authority, it's what you love, it's what controls you, it's it's what your passions are about. It's through that heart that becomes enlightened, that you would see clearly what you should worship and what you should love from your heart. And notice what he says, and why is that? So that you will know, and he goes on to talk about these things that understanding the, the hope of a calling, he says there in verse 18. What are the riches of glory? This idea of this inheritance that we have within the saints is that we, we don't live for this world. Uh, the joy of being able to talk with Anna Doyle up here in, in the sense of uh, appreciating that this is not my home. I'm a sojourner. I'm a pilgrim. I, I'm just passing through as First Peter reminds us of. It's the understanding that Paul goes on in this section to talk about the resurrection. And he says there this idea of, of the strength of his might in verse 19. In verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. For two years, I sat with a guy when I was pastoring in another church. And he and I, Jason and I, would meet almost every week and sometimes more than once a week and we would sit. And Jason was a staunch atheist and then kind of became more agnostic. This is a man that had PhDs. He had high doctoral degrees, sociology. He studied humanity. And he always talked to me and he says, you know what really I struggled with the most in all of my pre-Christ experience was that I could not believe in the resurrection. He says that was the one thing that always tripped me up. He says, I could, I could take into maybe this is a good book. There's a lot of helps here. There's a lot of truth in the sense of how it helps you with your relationships. But this concept of a resurrection, nah, I just could not come to grips with that. Until one day, an event of life, something in his life made him aware of the fact that if God can do all of this, then why am I struggling with him being able to do that? And faith entered into his heart. He believed, trusted in Christ, and he began to just soak it up. There's an enlightenment. But this resurrection thing can stump a lot of people. It's the evidence of an eternal power, the evidence of an established authority. But what's really neat is what Paul does with it also, he talks about this resurrection, is that it's the evidence in an active body. Because he says this living being, this Christ came up out of that dead and he has now turned to us as the church and says, now you are the ones that will be me to this world. I'm going away. And you must remain. And you need to live out these things. And that's the Matthew 28 concept. We teach, we admonish one another, we strengthen one another so that we might follow these commands that God has given to us so that we can then live out Christ while he's away. Because one day he's coming back. We as the body of Christ are the evidence of his effective working Christ's power, his authority in our lives as individuals who come together to celebrate and to disciple one another. This is the church. Grace Baptist Church is to be that ongoing model of power and authority. Not our power, not our authority, but his which is what he goes on to talk about how he is far above all rule and authority, verse 21, and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And what did he do then? He gave him Christ to the church. With all of that authority and all of that power, he is given, gifted to us. which is his body, verse 23 there, the fullness of him. We are to be the fullness of Christ who fills us to the full. 
So how full of Christ are we? Or how full of baloney are we? As we witness this baptism in a moment, observing the communion, this evening as a church, we're going to gather again. And I would love to see you here. It's a time to analyze our mission in very practical ways. Back in 2014, Tom Rainer wrote a very provocative little book entitled Autopsy of Deceased Church. And what the book sought to do was to reveal some post-mortem results of examining the demise of some churches who had one time been thriving works. One of the things that I can take from that is that growing up in a church planner's home, I can remember multiple places we would go, Tifton, Georgia, Madison, Alabama, going into New Hampshire, Florida, churches in Ohio, in Illinois, in Indiana, the church in Tennessee, Waverly, Tennessee. Sometimes there'd be a small little pocket of people where no church had ever been established. Sometimes it would be just a building. That was Madison, Alabama. A church that at one time had run hundreds, five and 600 people on a given Sunday. Not a huge church, but we're talking 80s. You know, this is really before all the mega church movement had really taken off. And sin had gotten in. Division had entered. We got the property. BIMI was donated the property. My dad was currently at that time uh, there as a missionary, as a home church missionary. We drive into Madison, Alabama, pull up into this property worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, grass as high as my dad's knees, and empty. It looks a lot like some of these pictures. Could that be Grace Baptist Church in 10 years? Oh, it could be. But should it be? And so what we often want to do is is we want to evaluate what's the pulse of our church. What is our heartbeat? Tonight is an opportunity just like that. Some of the results of this post-mortem review that Tom Rainer did was that pretty much in every single case, there developed a lack of humility. It was replaced with a self-serving, self-giving, self-entitled spirit. In other words, there was no spirit of wisdom anymore, and there definitely was no love for one another. Over time, as he would study the budgets that developed over the time of the course. These were 14 different churches he looked at. He began to look at their budgets as he got opportunity, looked at the development of the course of time, and they began to reflect more of an inward focus. And they became less concerned about an outward ministry. There was less saying about reaching others and reaching into their community. The tenures of the pastors began to shorten. Because the squabbling and the infighting began to push even strong leadership away. Prayer began to become more awkward and less of the focus of the church. And there became an obsession to growing over an enamored feeling over facilities. And less about a wisdom connected to a spirit of faith and love. They had forgotten the warning of Christ as Matthew chapter 6 reminds us of. When he said this, he says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So why do churches struggle over physical things? Why do we begin to entrench and squabble over preferences? Could it be that the focus is on the past glory or establishing a legacy that is more about a person's place in history rather than seeing Christ placed in his story? This evening, 
several are going to share. We have several of our staff, pretty much all of our full-time and part-time staff that lead in ministries are going to be sharing what God has done in 2022. And some of them are going to be giving and casting a sense of direction for what God is laying upon their hearts and how we want to lead in 2023. You're going to be hearing from them and seeing how God is encouraging us to continue to grow even in borrowed facilities. Imagine that. I'm very encouraged that we're still focusing on some major endeavors for increasing our ministry to to our missionaries. You're going to hear of our opportunity to even consider taking on some additional missionaries in this year. You say, while we're in a building project? Yes, because it's not about the facilities, church. It is, but it's not. It's an opportunity for us to not forget our outreach endeavors. Now, the question oftentimes comes up, could we do more? Yes, sure. Did you realize that pretty much every week you have opportunity to vote on what we can do as a church? The reflection of that and how we give as a church. The attitude of our giving as a church. And tonight, the church is going to vote on us fulfilling our mission as a church and how we even spend the monies that we together as a people collect and we disperse and we do this on a weekly basis, committing ourselves back into a global, back into a community that we believe that God has placed us into. Now, could we do more? Yes, but that is really up to us saying by how we give if we are committed to doing so. If you do not give through this ministry, we sometimes are unsure as to how much more we can prepare for in a successive year. Do you give to missions? And maybe you give independent of working through this local church, which is not a bad thing. This is not me shaming or blaming anyone. But many times there is an indication in our heart we have missionaries that always are coming in. We have missionaries that are retiring, missionaries that have passed on, and we are ready to give, but yet at the same time we're just not sure what's the church's intention. What, what do we want to do as a body, as a people? And sometimes it's hard when we're not working together to see these things accomplished. What about more in our community? in our local ministries. Well, the question comes up, how can we sustain it? Let alone, how can we start it unless we as a church are committed to evidencing our faith, some trust and some leadership to see that our church loves the mission that we are on and encouraging us to do more, to give more. But giving is not just done in financial ways. Are we modeling a servant's heart that gives of our time as much as our money? Do you give of your heart? Do you have a heart that has eyes seeing? Do you give from your heart? And noticing the last two verses of this chapter in verse 22 again, that Christ is the head over all things to the church. And then in verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As we take an opportunity to think about our church, are we humble in our spirit? Are we manifesting a wisdom that comes through the enlightenment of his word? Is it something that is taught to us by his spirit, or are we searching from something else? So let's check the pulse. Put the finger on your pulse, and what is your heartbeat, and what are you passionate about? And is it in rhythm with what Christ is passionate about? And thinking about our opportunities to serve for him, is our faith shallow or are you growing in a knowledge of the Lord? Is your love self-serving or are you loving as deeply as Christ loved others through humility and sacrifice? As we go into our time here in just a minute of observing the communion, Are you in fellowship with Christ? I'm not saying whether or not you're saved or not. I'm asking, is there something of sin in your life that's clouding, maybe even straining the relationship between you and your Lord, supposedly your Lord? 
Are you truly observing Christ in your walk? And more importantly, do others see him just as clearly? Check your pulse. In just a minute, as I mentioned, we're going to be observing communion and taking time for us as the church to see what Christ has done for us. As we think and prepare for that moment, maybe God has pinpointed some things in your heart that you know is a distraction from his glory and something in your life that you would identify as saying, I more readily run to this than I do the truth of his word. Maybe there's a sin an area in your life where you have cordoned off the Holy Spirit and said, you're not allowed to talk with me about this. This is a good time to present your heart in confession before him as your mediator. Not before me, not before a deacon, not before anybody else. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And confront that need in your life. Am I in faith, loving him supremely, loving others as Christ would love them. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and whew, somebody drug you in here and you can't wait to get out of here. Boy, why? I hope that you understand how much God truly loves you. And this is a church that also loves you. We're checking our pulse because we need to deal with hard things sometimes to make sure that we're not missing our goals and missing what Christ has given to us. And so church, how are we doing? From the relationship of our heart to our purse string, but also our heart to the pronouncing of Christ wherever we go. May God speak to our hearts. In just a minute, Fred is gonna come and close us with a song, close this portion of our service with a song. And our ushers are going to be back here at the front. They'll work their way up. If you walked in this morning, you said, oh, they're doing communion. And I didn't get one of those little vessels there, the little communion cup things. They'll be working their way back through. All you got to do is just get their attention. Raise your hand, and uh, they'll make sure to pass that down to you. And I hope that today, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you'll observe what Christ has done in your life with us here this morning. Whether you're a member here or not, It's more about being a member of the body of Christ universal in the sense that he truly is your savior. He is your king. He is truly the redeemer of your soul. He has forgiven you of your sin. Do you have that kind of relationship with him? Then we invite you to participate with us this morning. And we look forward to doing that. Let's stand together. And I'll close this point in prayer and then ask Fred to come and lead us in a song. Father, I pray that you would check our heart and see what you see in there. And Lord, as the psalmist declared, Lord, search me, try me, know me. Lord, if there's something there that is distracting from your glory, I pray that you would point it out, let me see it. But I probably already know it's there. I probably already know what you're going to tell me. And we deal honestly with it. And it's not necessarily for our shame, it's for our good. It's because it detracts from and it diminishes the effectiveness, the the meaning of redemption, of hope, of being forgiven of sin and its power. Lord, I praise you for what the cross has given to us. And I thank you for what an empty tomb gives to me as well. And Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all of these things. May we truly be a church that loves our community, loves the world, and is willing to share with them the truth that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food.
Luke 22 is where I like to look this morning as we take a moment to think about where in Scripture we see this model for us. And that uh, communion cup that you have there uh, should have the, the bread on one side and the juice on the other. Just make sure that you don't open the wrong end at the wrong time, all right? Uh, but at the same time as we take these in hand here this morning, may we appreciate what they symbolize. And he says there in Luke 22 and verse 17, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And then verse 19 is where we get to those symbols, those places that represent what Christ has given to us. And when he had taken some bread in verse 19 and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you open that up there and take that little wafer out and think about this in the sense of what Christ has said, and then to think about what we've already read here in Ephesians, where he says, now we are his body. I often wonder, when the world around us gets a taste of our existence, is it bitter, or does it taste like Christ? What is it that they get from us? We are him. And to think about what we share in the person of Jesus Christ and what he has given to us, what we now symbolize when we take this into our body, we think about what he has done, his forgiveness, his death, his complete sacrifice for us who didn't deserve it, weren't worthy of it, and yet he did it because he loved us. I want you to think about that this morning and to think about our relationship to him because of what he has given to us. Take Eat. Alas, did my Savior need, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred hand for sinners such as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Then he said he took a cup in verse 20. And after they'd eaten, he said, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. There is no sufficient sacrifice. And most importantly, because of Christ and what he has given to us, it was perfect. It was everything that the Father required. It satisfied all of God's justice. And he did it for us. Are you grateful for that, church? As we think about this now, as we open that up and reveal the juice there, this is a symbol of that, a token of that reminder of his shed blood for us. And I hope that you know that to be applied to your sin debt for an eternal forgiveness. Drink you all of it. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood in the soul? dismissed with the word of prayer. As you leave this morning, if you would, if you have one of those cups, if you would, take that with you. There'll be some garbage receptacles in the back there that uh, you can drop those in. And may our hearts really appreciate and cherish what we have observed today, both in the baptism and also now in this moment of celebrating what Christ has given to us. Father, we're grateful for our church. Lord, I know that there may be some that are visiting here today, and I pray that they have a, a good church home, a place where they're being challenged from your word. 
to grow in grace and truth, or that they might also be representatives in their communities. And those of us, Lord, that are here, we make this our home and we are challenged together by the people that you have brought together. And sometimes we can get a little bit uh, unsure of relationships. And Lord, I pray that that's what would motivate our hearts to make sure that we are confident in your grace. And Lord, those that we love, and every Sunday we get the opportunity of reacquainting ourselves with and we interact with on a regular basis. Lord, I thank you for the fellowship that we share and the opportunity to be growing together in this truth and in faith and love one with another. Lord, we're grateful for what you've given to us in the person of Jesus Christ and the fullness of him, everything about him that fills this place. Lord, you have gifted that to us and may we truly be in submission and in a heart of humility. Lord, may we see from that heart, having eyes that see, that our eyes are open to, enlightened through the truth, the wisdom that you've given to us. Lord, magnify yourself in us. And Lord, through us to others, may people around us see you and less of us, more of you. God bless us now, I pray. And may we walk this week in grace and truth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.